Well, good morning. For those that I haven't met, my name is Matt Morton. I'm the teaching pastor here at Grace Creekside. Thanks for joining us for our first official week. Uh, We've been praying for this for a couple of years and preparing, and so we are so glad you're here this morning. Uh, One of our prayers all through this process has been that Grace Creekside will be a place where you have the opportunity to really connect with God and to connect and know His Son, Jesus Christ, and then from there, to go out into our neighborhoods, into our communities, and share the good news that He loves us and that Jesus is alive. Um, It is difficult. We live in a culture where it is difficult to connect with God. Uh, I don't know about you, but I often feel the pressure of the fact that uh, we live in a very distracted and distractible world. Maybe you, throughout the course of your week, at times feel like you have way too much to do and not enough time to do it, and I think that's compounded by a lot of the digital input even that we receive throughout the week. Uh, I read a study just this past week that said most of us, on average, check our phones 150 times a day. Now, some of you may say, that, that's not me. Others of you go, yeah, that sounds about right, or maybe even a little low right? Uh, We check the time, we check email, we get text messages, we check Facebook or Twitter or whatever it may be. We are constantly checking in on our devices. And uh, one of the challenges I think that that presents for us is that it makes us feel constantly like we are in sort of a tornado of activity and we have all of these obligations that we have to meet. Some of those emails or texts are genuinely important. Others are genuinely not but they all feel equal in importance when they come up and make that little sound. And so we live often in a constant state of distraction and anxiety. Uh, They did a research study of college students at Kent State University a couple of years ago, and here's what they found. They said that heavy cell phone users have, on average, lower GPAs, higher anxiety, and lower satisfaction with life relative to their peers who used the cell phone less often. Listen to this. One student interviewed for the study noted that social networks made him feel tied to his phone. Said it's like a whole new world of obligations that I have because anybody can get a hold of me at any time by just thinking about me. You know, if my mom wanted to give me a call right now and just talk for a second, she could. I thought that was interesting. I mean, I don't bum bum bum, right? Can you imagine living under that sort of pressure that your mom could contact you at any minute? Now, that student's probably not old enough to remember that even before smartphones, moms found ways, right? (laughs) But he lives under this pressure that I have all of this anxiety and all of these obligations, and what that does is it creates a mindset, I think, in all of us where we are constantly distracted and constantly looking for the next thing to do, and if we're not careful, we run the risk, we run the risk of getting to the end of our lives and realizing that we simply reacted rather than proactively deciding what the values are for our life and how we're going to spend our time in order to fulfill those values. We really face the temptation, and nobody wants to get to the end of their life. Nobody wants to be on their deathbed and think about, what did I do? What did I accomplish? What did I contribute to the world? And ultimately say, I kept up with my emails. We don't want to live in a reactionary way. I think we face that danger as individuals, and I think as a church, we face that danger as well. We could respond 
to every cultural tide that washes in. We could try to implement every program that we think of or that is suggested. But the danger we face is that we live with a lack of focus and we move with a lack of focus. And so we end up living like a person who walks into Lowe's, for example. I'm thinking of myself, right? To buy light bulbs. And you walk out with a leaf blower and a car full of lumber and a number of other things, right? And you walk home and your spouse says, where are the light bulbs? And you go, the what? Right? <laughs> because you forgot the mission you were sent on. Right? We run that risk. Uh, I thought it was appropriate on the opening week of a new campus at the beginning of a new fall semester for us to ask the question, what are the priorities that we want to set Uh, for ourselves as individuals, but also as a church? What are the priorities we want to live by? And then as a church, what are those priorities that we want to equip you to fulfill throughout the course of your week and throughout the course of your semester to say, uh, this is what we are about. And if you fulfill these priorities, then no matter what else happens here on Sunday morning or throughout the week, uh, we will feel that we are engaging with our mission. So that's what we're going to talk about. What are those priorities? What are the first things we want to emphasize? And what are the first things we want to do? And how are we going to go about doing those things as a church? Now, I am operating from a biblical worldview as I speak this morning. And so I'm operating under the understanding that the foundation for all of our values is simply this, that God created the world and he created you and me and he created us to bring him honor, to bring him glory, right? Glory is just a biblical word that essentially means God's importance, God's significance, God's value, that the purpose of our lives is ultimately to proclaim that God is great with all that we do. So as you look through the scripture, you see this theme emerge over and over and over again. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Even the sky, even the heavens calls out, God is glorious. God is great. Look at what God has made. So you look at the stars and the sky and it screams to you, God made this and God is great. Our works are designed to bring glory to God. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So then the question becomes, what are the priorities that we want to set in order to ensure that our lives and our church fulfill that purpose, to bring glory to God, that in the final analysis, when we reach the end of our days or when Jesus returns and we look back over our lives and we look back over the life of this church, we say what we focused on were these priorities to sing the praise of God who made us and of his son who will one day reign forever over the earth and heaven. How can our lives and our church bring glory to God? What are those priorities we want to set? Uh, The first one, we're going to find it in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 to 38. This is called the great commandment. The great commandment. Love God. That's the very first priority that Jesus sets. If you look at Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is asked this. One of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? 
And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So before anything else, Jesus says, this is it. You love God with everything you have, your heart, your soul, your mind. Every part of you, you engage in this task of seeking to love God. That's interesting because when we think about what is first, we often, of course, think about serving God or obeying God. Right? But Jesus says very first, love God. And I think he says that because the foundation of our relationship with God is actually God's love for us. If you think about 1 John 4.19, we love, why? Because he first loved us. And he expressed that love by saving us from sin and death and hell through his son Jesus, who died in our place, rose again, defeated death and sin. God says, all who trust in me can receive that free gift of eternal life that comes through my son. And God, while we are sinners, initiates toward us in love. And then he calls us back to say, now you love me as I have loved you. So first and foremost, before you serve, before you obey, before you volunteer, before you do anything for God, we do everything with God in a relationship of love with him. And I think one of the dangers that we all face is to begin to serve or to lead or to obey simply from a heart of duty or fear or some type of obligation without actually knowing God. Every year on February 14th, many men learn what it means to do something out of obligation or fear, don't they? Millions of men will go to the store and they will buy cards and they will buy flowers and they will make reservations. Why? Uh, Maybe because they feel they should, but also because they feel they are afraid of what will happen if they don't. The recipient of such actions can sniff out the difference, can't she? You know the distinction. Parents, you know the distinction between when your child uh, obeys you out of love for you or respect for you versus when they do it because they feel afraid or they feel duty and they do it grudgingly, right? I can remember a particular instance when I was maybe eight or nine years old being asked to take out the trash in the middle of playing some game and I didn't want to do it and I stood up and I began to take out the trash but I remember saying this, I am just a robot chore slave in this house, right? That's all I do. And often that's how we view our relationship with God. I have to do or not do certain things in order to earn his favor. And the good news of the gospel is that in Jesus Christ, he has given you his love. He has given you his favor absolutely unconditionally. And so what Jesus says is you respond simply by loving him. So you take the time to know who he is. So for a while during your week, at some point you put away the phone. You turn off the computer, you turn off the TV, and you engage with the Word of God to learn who He is and what He has done, and you spend time in prayer with Him, and you worship Him, and you listen for the voice of His Spirit so you can know Him and love Him, just as many of us try to do in marriage relationships or dating relationships. You sit and you look in the person's eyes and you listen. And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's the first priority, and it's the first priority that we want to set as a church, that we want to equip, we want to be equipped 
to know how to love God. That's the first priority when we meet in here on Sunday and when we go out and we have Bible studies and home churches throughout the week is to provide tools so we can study the Word of God, so we know how to pray, so we know how to worship, so we know how to know Him. So Jesus says, underneath every other priority, or above every other priority, excuse me, love God first. First priority is to love God. Second priority, love others. Right after he says that the first and greatest commandment is to love God, Jesus then follows it up and he says, the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So just below loving God, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on to say, actually, all the law and all the prophets, that is all of the Old Testament, really all of the scripture up to the point that Jesus is talking, it all hangs on these two things. Love God, love others. If you think about the Ten Commandments, the first four really deal with loving and worshiping God. The last six deal with loving others. And everything else that follows is simply exposition on those two concepts. And Jesus says, if you lock these priorities in your mind, love, your, love God, love your neighbor, those are the two greatest commandments, the two greatest priorities. In fact, in John 13, Jesus is going to say this, that he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Now that in and of itself is not new. The new part is this, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. In other words, you look at the example of Jesus Christ and you love as Jesus has loved. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I think we have the opportunity as a church to fill a tragic gap in our culture. And that tragic gap is that most people are lonely, they are looking for connection, they feel isolated. Most people do not feel they have sufficient connection either with God or with other people. And lacking connection with others is literally killing people. And I'm not exaggerating. Studies have shown that loneliness is as dangerous for your health as smoking or heavy drinking. It increases one's mortality rate substantially. People would rather die than live in isolation. Many of you will have seen the movie Castaway starring Tom Hanks where he plays a man who gets marooned on, a, on an island in the middle of the ocean all by himself for four years, all alone. And of course, it follows his struggle as he learns how to find food and as he learns how to find water and just to survive physically. But there's another struggle that goes on at the same time in there, and that is he is lonely and he lacks connection. And if you remember the movie, you'll remember what he does to fill that void. He gets a volleyball and he puts a face on it and he names it Wilson. And he talks to that volleyball as his companion for four years. And frankly, one of the most gut-wrenching scenes in that movie is as he's leaving the island and Wilson gets lost and drifts away, right? And you find yourself crying and you realize, I'm crying for a volleyball, right? (laughs) Why? Because any friend is better than utter isolation. I read another study recently that said one-third of adults age 45 and older are chronically lonely. One third. One out of three people who are 45 and older that you interact with in your workplaces and in your neighborhoods and throughout your week, they are chronically lonely. Uh, Another survey done just last year, they interviewed 1,500 people and they asked them, how many 
confidants do you have? How many people in your life do you feel that you know who you can share your struggles with and your trials who will care for you? You know, the most common answer to that question, how many confidants do you have? Most common answer, zero. Zero. One out of four respondents said there was nobody that knew them well enough to really tell what was going on in their lives. Uh, If you expand the question to besides immediate family, who do you have? It pops up to 40%. A huge percentage of those in our world feel alone and isolated and separated from the love of God and from other people. And I feel that as a church, we have the opportunity to begin to bridge that gap. To remove for a while the distractions that keep us from noticing our neighbors and engaging in their lives, from having them over into our homes, from serving them and caring for them as Jesus loved us. We have an opportunity to bridge that gap with coworkers and perhaps even with family members who are literally dying apart from love. And the great news is that as God has poured His love into our hearts through the power of the Spirit because of the resurrection of Jesus, as God has done that, we now have the love of Christ to pour into the world around us. And so, second only to loving God, Jesus says, love your neighbor. Literally, love those who are right around you in your sphere of influence, the ones you see, you smile at, you wave at, you see their garage door coming up and down but you don't connect. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And again, we want to be a church that facilitates that and equips that. The odds are good that many of you came in here this morning looking for connection. It may be that you are one who feels isolated or alone. Or maybe you came in because you made a tentative connection with somebody else who is here and you're hoping to strengthen that. We want to facilitate that as well. That's why we encourage you to get into one of our groups or home churches or connect with a group from this congregation in a smaller setting where you can begin to fulfill that need for connection, not only with God but with others, and then move out into the world and fulfill this priority. Love God, love others. And then thirdly, love God, love others. And then the third priority is this, fulfill the Great Commission. Fulfill the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus' last words. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The last words that Jesus says are to send his disciples on mission. Uh, Next week, we're actually going to begin a series on the book of Acts. We'll be in the book of Acts all the way through the semester. And what you see in the book of Acts is Luke describes how the disciples pursued the mission that Jesus sent them on. And what Jesus' mission for them is, is this, go into all of the world, all the nations, and make disciples. All right, a disciple is very simply somebody who learns what Jesus taught. Disciple literally means a learner, but then obeys. He says, teach them to observe or obey all that I commanded you. So you go out into all the world. This is a worldwide commission. 
Uh, Ultimately, this is the mission not just of Grace Bible Church, but of every church. Every church that proclaims the name of Jesus Christ is called then to go out into the world on mission. Not just through appointed missionaries, although that's important, but also through men and women in our own neighborhoods, in our own communities, in our places of work, and through men and women who pray and support and help those who go all around the world. Uh, Ever since the inception of Grace Bible Church 50 years ago, this has been central to who we are. That the relationships we have with God and with others are designed then to drive us to say, in order to glorify God, in order to proclaim how great He is, I want to proclaim the good news all over the world that Jesus died for sin and rose again so we can have life with Him. And it is a huge temptation that we face because of distraction, because of so many good opportunities to get off track, to lose focus of our mission. Several years ago, when Shannon and I were living in Dallas and I was in seminary, every so often we would go and eat dinner at KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Uh, You can judge me, but I know you've been there too, right? So we would go there every so often and, you know, pick up just kind of like a bucket, five or six pieces of chicken or 10 or whatever we were feeling like that day. And uh, so one evening I walked into KFC and uh, stood in line at the counter, got up to the front and said, okay, I'll have the five piece, you know, dark chicken or whatever and began to order. And the woman behind the counter said to me, we are out of chicken. (laughs) And, And I thought, wait, where am I, right? I am at... Kentucky Fried Chicken, right? It says it right on the door. It's Kentucky Fried Chicken. Uh, if I want, she goes, you can have, we have coleslaw, we have uh, beans, we have, you know, all kinds of things. I'm like, if I want vegetables, I would not be a Kentucky Fried Chicken, right? I'd be somewhere else. This is your, your mission. Your mission is actually to make sure that you never run out of chicken, right? <laughs> that is your job. It's all that you are supposed to be doing. And if you are out of chicken, now I didn't actually say all this, by the way, I was thinking all this. But if you're out of chicken, let's just go home, right? Just close the doors, lock them up, and let's go home. There's no reason to keep Kentucky Fried Chicken open if all you have are sides. Uh, As a church, we face a very similar and equally subtle type of danger. Uh, We could have all the great sides in the world. We could have the most comfortable chairs. We could have the slickest service. We could have all of the accoutrements. Uh, We can do all kinds of external activities and still not fundamentally be focused on the fact that we are called to make disciples. And so everything that we do as a church is filtered through the grid of are we engaged right now in something that will lead to or facilitate or equip disciple-making. In preparation for our 50th anniversary service that we're going to have coming up in December as a church, I've been wading through some old uh, audio and video of elders who founded our church, many of whom have now passed away, but we have interviews with some of them on DVDs and CDs and things like that. So I've been trying to listen to some of that and get a sense of uh, what 
was the vision that drove Grace Bible Church 50 years ago when this church was, uh, began. And what I am consistently hearing is that they said, we want to be a church on a mission. And so uh, even as a, as a very young church, these men and women who were beginning a very small community and kind of breaking off of another church at the time said, we want to have an impact on the campus at the time, Texas A&M, which was much smaller, and equip those men and women on the A&M campus to know Jesus and then to go out all through the world and share the gospel. And so over the last 50 years, thousands of students have come through our doors to hear the gospel, and most of them no longer go to grace. And for some churches, that in and of itself would be considered a failure, right? They don't go here anymore. They're not sitting in our chairs. But that is the core of our mission, because now they are all over the world. Some 75 missionaries, most of whom were engaged in the college ministry, and hundreds upon hundreds of men and women in the business world, in ministry in the States, all over the place, sharing Jesus in their spheres of influence so that the Great Commission can be fulfilled. Uh, Whether you're a college student or a parent or a single adult or wherever you fit on that sort of spectrum this morning, that is our desire and heart for every single person in the room, staff and volunteers included, that we will remember and catch the vision that God is doing a work among us by the power of His Spirit to spread the good news of Jesus all over the planet. And so we come here to be equipped to know the Word of God, to understand the gospel, and to be equipped to fulfill that mission. And so we consistently will come back to that priority. Love God, love others, fulfill the Great Commission. When I was talking with the children's staff just before the service, I had a small devotional with them before we began. One of the things I told them was, in the children's area, for example, uh, there are all manner of things that could and probably will happen that will distract. But if we walk away from each morning knowing that we have engaged in worshiping and loving God, knowing Him better, loving others, looking people in the eye, engaging them with the love of Jesus Christ, and then going out from here to say, I want to have a part in fulfilling the Great Commission. If we have done those things, and that was a great Sunday, even if something breaks. And so we constantly come back to those priorities. And again, living in an ultra-distracted world, it's a huge challenge for us to stay focused on what God is calling us to do. And so even before we began the book of Acts next week, uh, all of our campuses this morning are having a similar conversation to say this is who we are. Now, if you're visiting or you are a guest with us for the first time, I hope this gives you a sense even of who we are as a church, what our values are, that we are fundamentally about the good news of Jesus Christ, loving him, loving others, making him known. That's who we are. So a few questions then to ask ourselves as we go throughout the course of our week. One is this, is your life focused on those priorities? Is your life focused on those priorities? Uh, Loving God, loving others, fulfilling the Great Commission. There we go. Is your life focused on loving God, loving others, 
and fulfilling the Great Commission. Uh, when you think about the way you spend your time, and I'm personally convicted by this as well, am I primarily driven by the seeming obligations that come my way? Do I primarily live in a reactive way? Or have I set the values for my life and then said, Monday morning, I'm going to begin to arrange my time to fulfill these priorities? Is your life focus on loving God? Loving others and fulfilling the Great Commission. Secondly, if not, what is it that is distracting you? Uh, the answer may be a cell phone. The answer may be something else entirely. It may be that you have some other goal for your life that keeps you from focusing on what is primary. It may be you're sitting here and you're thinking, it's, it's my children, right, or my spouse. Those actually are not distractions per se. Those are people, right? And so... Uh, <laughs> It may be, though, that you need to begin to see your spouse and your children in a different light, right? It may be that you need to begin to engage them or your roommate or whoever it may be in light of these priorities to say, first, I'm going to love God, and then I'm going to love them from the foundation of loving God so that even my interactions with those closest to me are part of this priority structure, right? What is it that is distracting you, and how can you begin to uh, change the way you approach people but minimize or remove distractions. Right? As Paul says, cast off every weight. Author of Hebrews as well. Focus on the race before us, just as Jesus did. What is distracting you? And then what is the one step you can take this week toward living in a more focused way? Maybe you say, I really need to learn how to know and love God. And so you may say, you know what? Five minutes, 10 minutes, five days this week, I'm going to put my phone away or turn it off and I'm going to read the Word of God, and I'm going to pray. Even if you've tried it before and been unsuccessful, continue to persevere. All right, maybe you say, I need to love and care for others, so you think of one neighbor, one coworker, even one person in this room that you say, I want to invest in that person's life. Take him to lunch, have him to my home for dinner, go over to a neighbor's house, ask how I can serve. Right? Maybe you say, I want to learn to fulfill the Great Commission, and that's the step I want to take this week. As we go throughout the fall, we're also going to have equipping opportunities in that regard. We'll have a week focused on world missions. There's also, uh, for our church later on, going to be some evangelism training and how to share the gospel. It may be you have a family member, a friend, a neighbor that you say, they need to hear the good news, and so I'm going to pray for an opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. Take one step this week, maybe even before you go home or right when you get home, write that step down. What will I do? toward living in a more focused way so that our lives and our church can bring glory to God so we can live in a way that is consistent with the priorities that we want to set as a church and as, as men and women who believe in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful for this time. I thank you for each person here. I know that each of us is here on some level because we want to connect with you and we want to connect with others. We want to be used for your purposes. We don't always know how to do that or what the next step is, and so I pray give us wisdom uh, as we think about those steps throughout the week. And I pray we would simply be faithful to hear from you, to rely on the power that you provide through your spirit, to live in keeping with how Jesus called us to live. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.